You should be the host here. I'm really loving it, Jeff. We're both monster people, diehard monster people, and we want them to do well. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Nobody knows monster rugby better. I'd like to think I know a lot. Welcome along to the eighth episode of The Red 78, the home of everything monster rugby right here on the Rugby Channel. I'm Alan Quinlan and joining me as usual is monster rugby legend Neve Briggs. I'm back from Dubai, Neve, and you, you weren't lying about the weather. It was lovely and warm where I was last week, but uh, it's absolutely freezing here. Um, so you were right. It was, it was a, nif- a niffy week, Quinny. How did you get on in Dubai? Very good, yeah. It was... Um, 27, 28 degrees. I didn't get out in the sun too much. We had a few beers on Wednesday night and then we had our dinner on, on Thursday night. It was um, it was actually really enjoyable. Um, sometimes you go to events and you're not really sure what to expect. And I wasn't really sure what to expect in Dubai, how many monster people would be there. And Quinny, for the listeners, tell them what you were doing. We did it. We went for uh, we went to Expo 2021 on Tuesday night, and then I went to uh, Riverdance after that. So basically, it's this big international trade show, and uh, it was phenomenal. Um, who who went? John Kelly was there. Dennis Fogarty, Barry Murphy, Cahill Sheridan, and myself. So five of us. Very and, quiet uh, group. Yeah, Anthony Morrissey organised everything, and uh, Ian Flanagan was there. The Monster CEO, um, Jerry O'Shea. Uh, the president of Monster Rugby as well was there. And uh, so it was enjoyable. It was really good. And um, we, I, I suppose, as I said, I didn't really know what to expect and what, what this event would be like. Tuesday night was calm. Wednesday night was a day off. Did a bit of shopping. Ended up having a few pints in, in McGettigan's uh, Wednesday night with amongst ourselves. And uh, then Thursday was the event, and it was really enjoyable. Lots of nice people there, and surprised the many um, monster rugby fans are out in Dubai. Uh, so the plan is to go back. There was a few Leinster people uh, scattered in amongst the group as well, but uh, it was enjoyable, really good. Um, John John Kelly, Dennis Fogarty, and Carl Sheridan went up on stage first, and they were recounting a few stories and their experiences. And then it was. Barry Murphy and myself up afterwards, uh, they were the warm-up act and we were the, the entertainers. <laughs> so it was brilliant. Um, just really talking about what, what our experiences with Monster and what it was like and uh, it turned out really well. Um, brilliant. Great interaction, loads of questions from the crowd. And then, then Baz finished by singing his song um, that he wrote for Axel, which was amazing. Oh, class. Had a standing ovation. So... That was really brilliant. And uh, yeah, I was looking forward to coming home then and uh, doing commentary for the Bulls versus Munster on Saturday off tube. Of course, we weren't flying out to South Africa, but obviously uh, we woke up Friday morning then and uh, um, everything changed. Yeah, obviously, you know, when you get news like that, I think it's it's. I was working for the Connacht game uh, this weekend against um, the Ospreys and I think the overriding feeling was obviously, you know, frustration for Munster, obviously, but more so than that, they just hope that everybody's going to be okay. So kind of, it's kind of bigger thing than rugby really, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And but, uh, yeah. just to let, let people know, let us know what your thoughts on, on what's happened with Munster uh, by tweeting at the Rugby Channel 15 or by leaving a comment wherever you watch, watch this across the Rugby Channel social media pages. And we come... And uh, talk about those comments next week and, and next week's pod and discuss and 
subscribe to the podcast as well. Just search for the Red 78 and you'll get the podcast straight to your phone. Um, just going back to what we, we, we just briefly started talking about, um, the craziness of, get, I, like I was getting a taxi at six o'clock in the morning, um, Friday morning with Anthony Morrissey, um, and who organized the event and did a brilliant job. And John Kelly, the, some of the boys were staying on for another day or two. And uh, we were just about to get in a taxi. And Anthony said to me, um, the match is off. Um, it's, uh, you, the South Africa has been placed in the red list and the game is off. And we were just kind of shocked. And I was like, well, what do you mean the match is off? Um, how How is it off and why is it off? And... Um, then it started to kind of filter out. So I was checking online. I was checking that any new, um, media outlets have it and nobody really had it. So obviously the call came from South Africa to, to Munster. It was Ian Flanning and the CEO who got that news and, and, and let Anthony Morrissey know. And it was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think obviously very frustrating for them as players. And I know there was a second group of players that just arrived out that morning as well. And um, I just think, to be fair, from from a rugby point of view, um, just frustrating. I think for them, given that they hadn't played in a huge amount of weeks because of the international break, um, and then you know, just not really known. Like they're still stuck over there. Um, yeah, well, the, the only like I was in shock, and and it was actually the Munster rugby president Sean McCullough who was heading off to. Uh, he was heading to the air, to the airport to fly to Johannesburg with his wife. And he arrived back to the hotel and that was it. It was it was complete and utter shock. And um it's just strange to to fathom what's happened and how it's happened. And obviously they would have had the disappointment that a match has been called off and then as quickly as possible get home. Then they have a positive case and they've got to stay. And there's talks of a charter and Scarlets and Zebra left on Sunday. And Munster and Cardiff end up staying there, and it's been a disaster for them since. Yeah, and this morning, nine positive cases uh, in the squad between players and management. And um, yeah, look, it's just very difficult. They're not; they're going to wait till the next round of PCRs. They were all tested again this morning, um, before those that were come back negative can get on a flight tomorrow, hopefully, um, and get them home. I just think you just feel sorry for them. We're all in their hotel rooms, can do very little. Now, to be fair, the briefings that are coming out for months are saying everybody's in good form, good spirits, everybody's well, more importantly. Um, just makes a huge challenge for what's coming down the track. Hindsight's a great thing, Neve, but should these games have been played in, in Italy like they were originally fixed for? Um, from a South African point of view, of course, that would have been very difficult. Um and I was delighted, actually, when these games were moved to South Africa because I thought, look, that's to keep the integrity of the competition. But like I say, hindsight's a great thing. If these games were on in Italy and um, none of this maybe would have happened or maybe it could have happened, there could have been some positive cases because that's the world we live in at the moment. Um, was it a mistake to go to South Africa and play these games? Oh, look, I just think that's neither here nor there, to be honest, because I think... <clears throat> At the time, you know, the, the decision was made in best faith and given how South Africa were starting to come out of their bubble like the rest of the world and they've got to be afforded an opportunity. I just think that this is such a fast-moving um, 
disease or um, issue that they just don't want to take any chances considering how it shut the world down over the last probably two years. So I think from that point of view, probably the right call. Um, but yeah, I just think, um, look, you can't say like, let's, you know, they should have kept it in Italy or shouldn't have gone to South Africa. I think at the time, it, you know, all those factors would have been taken into account and the health and priority and safety of everybody involved and um, not just from Munster but from all, all the teams um, and that would have been taken into account and the decision would have been made yeah look we can we can host games set up for again so I just think it's just some very unfortunate um, just a really messy situation for them now um, and you know <clears throat> that first week was to give a lot of young guys a huge amount of game time you know in, Lost, in Loftus in Pretoria where would have been a huge, big experience for them, would have been super for them, irrelevant of the results, just for those young lads that were playing. And then obviously you were going to bolster it with, um, with a stronger team for week two against the Lions. They don't now don't have any games. So you're talking about a long period of time without games for young players. And then obviously the Wasps um, situation, you know, uh, they're now looking at a mixture of international players that didn't travel to South Africa with academy players. Uh, so another brilliant opportunity for those young lads, I'm sure. Yeah, aside from the worrying point of view and um, from what I gather, I think it's it's a very difficult situation. Okay, they're not in hospital and people are well and we just want to reiterate that point and there's lots of people have have suffered um, a lot more with COVID and, you know, there's been a lot of tragic situations throughout the world with it. Um, they're professional rugby players. They were due to be there for another... Uh, until maybe Sunday morning or Saturday night, they were due to play two matches, fly out. But a lot of these guys have young families and it's worrying the unknown, I think. They, they're not really sure, are they getting out, when they're getting out? They now have 10 cases. Those guys have now gone to um, a quarantine hotel. So they're being cut off from the other the group. Um, and I just imagine that's really difficult because they're all in rooms on their own. When they moved from Victoria back down to Cape Town, they were all put in individual rooms and not allowed to leave their rooms, um, which is strange and difficult and challenging. Um, okay, they're not sick, but it's 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 the unknown really that's difficult. And then I suppose Munster now have to make decisions about, you know, do the group at 37 or 8 if they come back with negative um, results can they get out when tomorrow or Thursday and get home? They're then into 10 days quarantine. So it's quite obvious that, as you said a minute ago, that um, none of these guys will be involved in the Wasp game. And that's an incredible, difficult challenge for them now, given their paid professionals. And it's about results and it's about, you know, starting, you know, hitting the ground running for Europe and trying to, trying to, progressing the competition and a difficult start away it was so um you went into uh you we spoke last week about you being in the in in Costello and the academy and, and what you saw and how you enjoyed seeing all that stuff you were there again yesterday just tell us a little bit about that because these internationals were training with these academy they're effectively preparing a team at home without i think it's the 33 players 34 players that went out to South Africa, maybe 36 or seven, maybe at this stage, because I know four more enjoyed it. 33 initially, and then four or five more joined. So without 38 players, effectively, Munster preparing a team with Ian Costello, the academy manager for Wasps. 
Tell us about that. Yeah, yesterday. yeah. Obviously, you know, we were taking part in this uh, coaching development, um, so Ian invited us in for these two Mondays because they thought they'd have a smaller group. To be fair, um, so similar to last week, we rev- we got to have a preview of the session outside. They have a big screen, and um, and they spoke about the ever changing landscape for them as a whole group um, <coughs> and the challenges that they face now. So just got to observe their pitch session. It was really interesting to see. So obviously you had the likes of the internationals. So Peter Manny, Conor Murray, Andrew Conway, Keith Earls, Joy Carberry, Tyke Byrne, and then a load of basically academy and NTS boys that would never have probably imagined that they'd be training with the likes of these players. Um, So it was interesting. It was interesting to watch the dynamic of the coaching group. um, And then also, and how positive they were. I thought that was brilliant because he was super positive in terms of um, bringing in those senior players um, and telling them like that they're effectively going to be coaches for the next week and a half to try and get these young lads up to speed. To, and, and they seem to really take it. Um, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised, I suppose, to see them take such a control and a reign. It was great to see the likes of Peter O'Mahony. You can see why he's so good. Um, How many players were there yesterday? Was it like uh, 20, 25, 30? No, was there it? was more. I think it was with 30. Yeah, the 250, the 15. So, so they had all the academy basically there. And NTS boys. So younger again. And and then the seven internationals, the likes then of Chris Farrell is coming back into... Um, and Damon Dialande was there as well. So they, they had a good group. Like. Did Chris Farrell train yesterday then? Uh, he's, he's on his way back in. He's on his way back in. So, yeah. um, but... Yeah, look, I just think for me, like you stand back and you watch, you can see why these guys are top internationals. Their ability to be able to bring the group together, so good. Their their ability to be able to communicate with those young lads, to be able to get them up to speed. Um, and yeah, they're all systems go. I think it's, they've really bought into the fact that this is the group now preparing for Wasps. And the coaching ticket looks really enthused and energetic. Treen Costello is coming from Wasps. So there's like, you know, he, what better man to know in terms of how they operate. Um, he was their defense coach for years. Their, their skills coach flipped over then to attack before he left. So um, he knows what Wasps are about. So I think if you're Van Gran, you're thinking like this group are in very good hands. But um, how, how do you pre- prepare young fellas stuff for that kind of a scenario? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I was just thinking part of me would love to be in that group there yesterday and having a real backs to the wall situation. I kind of love that situation at times um, when I played with Munster that this is a case now of, um, you know, it's a phenomenal opportunity for some guys and there's, I count nine internationals there. So how do you get Craig Casey and Conor Murray on the field at once at one time? Maybe you play Conor Murray on the wing or something. To be fair, Craig is in South Africa. Oh, he's inside. He, he, he went out group. last week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think I saw, I spoke to a couple of the NTS boys um, as they were coming off the pitch yesterday, and they were jaws to the ground in terms of the pace, the intensity, the level of skill in terms of executing the basics. And I just, you know, left and thought, what a brilliant experience for them in terms of, you know, these guys are 19, 20, 21 trying to get into an academy at some stage, um, but also now seeing real life in the flesh, how good these guys are and what it takes to get to the next jump. And I think that that's a major positive for, for them to be able to see that.
reality here is if Munster don't fulfil this game, I think EPCR um, will award the game to Wasps. A 28-0 yeah. loss, um, bonus point win for Wasps. Um, I presume they're going to allow a special dispensation to register for Munster to register more guys for Europe because obviously that's something that has to happen. Now, if Munster go over and play this fixture, um, they've got to register new guys. Was there guys from the AIL there? Uh, um, no, to be fair, there was just some really good young lads. Like, like if anybody get out and watch AIL over... When you say season, NTS, what does NTS So have? the National Talent Identification System, Listen. like, so they're, they play AIL week in, week out, these guys do. They yeah, play so for they're the all playing anyway. Gary Owen, your Munster, Shannon, um, and then and then you're looking at these some of these ads, like just Pat Campbell, fullback for... Um, you know, monsters. monsters that Garold was on a couple of weeks ago telling us about it's phenomenal. Um, Tony Butler, this young lad's coming to the NTS playing 10, would more than likely, I'd imagine, play under 20s in Ireland this year um, and been really comfortable in that environment. And I think, to be fair to Cozzy and all his coaching staff that were there yesterday, they've done a really good job of probably giving them enough information that they're probably not going to freak them out, but also getting trying to make that balance and understanding that basically we've got to try and marry the seven, eight, nine, ten international senior players that we have to the next group down and try and do it within realistically probably only five or six training days because you're not going to be training every day from now until Sunday week. So, um, yeah. If I, if, I, if I was in the WASP setup now, um, <laughs> I'd be trying to, I'd be, I don't know what way I think because if you kind of, Relax yourself a bit and think this is very easy. This is going to be easy. It could back backfire on you. Um, it's a crazy situation. It's just a crazy situation. I was thinking that Rob Carney didn't get his uh, swan song with the Barbas the weekend. And if he wants to get his swan, so- swan song over in Coventry Sunday week, I'm sure months, the Munster fans would forgive uh, a Leinster and Ireland legend maybe helping yeah, look, out there. <laughs> I, I think if you just take the whole situation and look at it objectively, this is an unbelievable opportunity for young players, for a group that could do something unbelievable where you're thinking back in 10, 20 years' time. Gee, we, like we talk about the Maori game um, and you know the New Zealand game and, and Munster playing Australia when Munster played them a few years ago. This could be another defining moment for this group. Their, you know, their ability to be able to close that gap to senior players allows them for the younger guys to continue to filter through um and yeah look i don't like don't think for a second that this is going to be an easy task it's not but i just think standing back there yesterday i thought fair play to cozy and his group i thought they they were absolutely class in how they managed the situation and the session it was unbelievable to see those senior players take those younger lads under their wing um just blew my mind in terms of the leadership that they that they showed um and after that then all you can do is prepare as best you can because yeah, and look, there's no the pressure end, on you at the end of the day it's um i just i'm glad that monster have kind of just decided we're going to prepare a team and that's it and get ready and whatever happens happens it's going to be a very difficult challenge even with a full monster team even Wasps have been a bit up and down this season they've lost four or five games in the Gallagher premiership they were beaten at the weekend by Gloucester but they're still still a very tough difficult task and my memories of Europe is, you know, if you can pick up a win on, on away from home, it always gives you a great chance of getting out of the group. I know the, the format is a little bit different since COVID, 
But look, we'll do talk more. Love, do you know what I love, Quinny? Nobody's whinging. Nobody's giving out. Nobody's saying, Harry, look, Munster. They're literally relishing this challenge that's in front of them. I think that that's really cool. Yeah, let's hope that um, they get home soon. Obviously, yeah. I forget the players yeah. who have uh, tested positive for COVID. It's a bit more difficult for them because they've obviously got to do their isolation in South Africa. And then probably we're not sure what they have to do. They have to do quarantine when they come home. Um, so a lot of uncertainty, but hopefully they're all OK. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk more next week, obviously, in, in preparation for that. I'm sure we'll have more information of what kind of a team we'll have and who will be um, going to Wasps. Uh, just moving on, not a great week for Munster. Uh, again, more news I got over in Dubai last week, which kind of was the talking point of the group we were with, was Stephen Larkham has decided to turn down the contract offer that he had on the table and go back to South Africa or go back to Australia uh, for family reasons. Initially, we heard that, and then a short time later, we heard he's announced as a Brumbies coach. Um, you can't blame the guy, really. Um, it's disappointing, I think. Um, two years ago, when when he came in at the start of the season, Graham Rontree and himself, I think um, everybody was incredibly excited by the quality of coaches that had come in. Um, given their pedigree, Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones had left, and then you replace him with Stephen Larkham and Graham Rontree, who have a lot of experience. Um, not sure we've seen a full evolution in the attack. We've seen moments um, and there's probably still question marks. And from what I hear, and the word was that Stephen Larkin was probably given more control this year to, to, uh, to take charge of the style of play, the full style of play, not just the back line. Um, so he's seven months now to show us what, he, what he's made of and hopefully he can. But it's, it's kind of disappointing in a sense that they were trying to build something here and they've had the criticisms, but it's more a little bit more upheaval and change again for Munster. Yeah, it's incredibly disappointing because I'm a huge fan of him, but as coach and, and as player. Um and look, I get it. I, I've had a lot of conversations with him in relation to his kids. His daughter was playing with Bose for a little while, um, really finding it difficult to settle. Um and uh, is in leaving certain year now, so it's at that age. So it's, it was always going to be difficult for them, and, and COVID probably completely hindered any kind of you know normality that they could have had. So I get it. And and look, when you get an opportunity like heading back, it's like you were going back to your home club, Quinny. There's stands erected in Canberra for him. It's called the Greek and Larkham stand. He is worshipped at home. And when your children aren't really that happy, and there's an opportunity to go home to something. As big as that, um, it's very difficult to see how he could have turned that down. So, um, but yeah, look, I think on the flip side of that, um, another coaching upheaval for Munsters, um, is is a a difficult thing to process because I I could see marks of what he was trying to do. It, you know, it, it was never going to be a quick fix, and it couldn't because those players that are playing now have been ingrained to play a certain way for a very, very long time, not just in this era. You're talking about from school grade up and you've got to try and be able to, you know, work with them in terms of their skill level under pressure, but then also be able to give them enough confidence to be able to execute it at the highest level. So they could be executing loads of things that we're not seeing at training, but when you go in and you're under pressure in the game and that defence are in your face, you kind of go back to type because that's what you know. So, 
But I did see certain elements during the games this year, you know, where you could see that they were trying to and that there was an evolution there in terms of their attack and, and trying to get to the edge. So I'd love to see them break out for the next seven months with, with no pressure and and, um, and really go and play. But look, it is, it is, it's, it's probably just disappointing for both players and for, for him too, maybe. Is there always a risk when you have Southern Hemisphere coaches that this stuff is going to happen? Um, big disappointment for Munster a few years ago when Rassi left, when everybody thought he was staying. I think he said he was staying and then he left. Um, obviously went back to coach his international side and, and did a wonderful job, went on and won a World Cup. There's always a risk, isn't there? So should we try and have homegrown coaches or is this just the way it is? Three, four years, you get guys and hopefully they make a difference and make a change. Yeah, look, I, I think it's it's not really a case of, you know, getting nor, Northern or Southern Hemisphere coaches. I think you just got to look at who the best for that job is. I do think that when you're taking player, uh, coaches away from their hometowns or their home kind of place, like Razzie and like Stephen Larkham, that if there is always going to be that draw of back home. So if they're doing well and they're achieving here, somebody over in Australia or South Africa is saying, well, God, we've got to get them back because they're, they're obviously successful at what they're doing. But, it, it, you know, it'd be interesting to see what direction Munster go. I think that that's going to be the huge thing. Do you employ, do, do you employ a, a new attack coach on the hope that Van Gran and, and the rest of the lads stay on? Um, do you employ an attack coach that sits with Van Gran's philosophy? Um, or is this a case that, you know, they're all going, it's it's very difficult to know. Like you hear names being spouted all the time, obviously two local lads in terms of Noah McNamara and Mike Prendergast. Their, their names have been all over social media and in, and in all the papers, um, which would be brilliant, wouldn't it? To see somebody like them. Yeah. But, Look, I'd, be bi- I'd be biased when it comes to Mike um, because I played with him and good friends with him, his, and uh, I just think he's, he's, in my opinion, he's done, He's coaching stint. He's been on the road for nine years. He's, he's coached Grenoble, Ionat, both sides who were struggling. They were tough jobs because they were always going to be in difficult positions regarding budgets in, in the top 14. Um, then he went to Stad and he was coaching with Paul there. And, and um, there was a coaching change there with Heineken Mayer. And, you know, Paul came back to Ireland and Mike went to Racing. So he's kind of, he's done four top 14 clubs and, Genuinely, his name in France is is very well regarded um, uh, from an attack point of view, and players seem to everywhere you go. And I talked, spoke to French people over there on, on several occasions, and they all know him, and they're all aware of the way his teams play. Even in Grenoble and Ayna, when they were struggling, they were scoring 30, 40 points a game, and sometimes being beat, conceding fifty points. But you know, there was. Um, there was an enjoyable part of it. And I think, um, obviously, being from Limerick as well, I think he fits the the profile and the bill. Um, who just knows? Hope, Does he hope. want to go for it? No, That's McNamara what I'm Obviously, he's had success as well with, with um, the Ireland under-20s winning a Grand Slam. He was Leinster Academy manager. Um, and he's take, he took up a stint with, with the Sharks in South Africa. Um, he's probably in a different trajectory at the moment. And that's why he probably moved in up into the Sharks to work with a full professional team. Um, so they're both really good candidates, I think. And um, I'd love to see a homegrown coach. And I think you've two guys there who are in the mix and should be in the mix. And, 
you know, I, I obviously, as I said, I'd be biased towards Mike because I think he's done nine years on the road coaching um, in difficult situations and he's earned the respect in France. He knows Chris Farr really well. He knows Zebo very well. Um, he's coached both of them. And I'm sure in these situations, senior players are asked for their 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 view as well. But ultimately, if Johan van Graan signs his new contract, um, he'll obviously... Uh, make a decision or be involved in the decision making as well. So it'll be interesting to see. But look, I would love to see Mike get the job and go back to Limerick and and um, get the opportunity to do that. But you said it. We've seven months. Stephen Larkham. Let's hope he goes out in the high and let's hope that it doesn't kind of unsettle guys or that they drop their standards a little bit. Because I've said this from the start of the season. This is kind of this was a kind of pivotal moment for this team. Um, the disappointment last year, the Pro 14 final against Leinster, I think Munster never fired a shot in attack. Uh, and that wasn't just the back line, the whole team. Um, they just seemed to be off. Um, there was a lot of optimism going into that game and they just didn't play well. Leinster played really well and smothered Munster out of it and stopped them playing. And then, of course, the, the Toulouse game the week after when they, they lost that round of 16 game against Toulouse and Thoman Park, where I actually thought their attack was superb. So did I, yeah. I thought they played really well that day. They scored some brilliant tries. and They show, you know, it was against the champions and they actually just made a couple of defensive errors and some brilliance from Dupont into Mac, these guys. So they're not a million miles away. So I just kind of look, the situation at the moment, hopefully it'll galvanise them and they can get some results. And look, my opinion of Larkham's situation is you cannot blame a guy. You get an opportunity no. to go home and go back with your family and you're going back to your a place where you've become a legend and you're getting yeah. the head coach job. Um, so he said in September he wanted to stay, but his family, you know, yeah. you get this chance with the family to go back. Um, so nobody will hold this against him. I think a few people were disappointed with Razzie's decision at the time, I think, and there was some utterings about um, about the way all that panned out, um, but not not on this one, I don't no. think, because Stephen Larkin has been straight up. They have time to get somebody, and let's hope they, they announce somebody soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be key for them now, isn't it? Stability and, and being able to move forward. Speaking of Rassi, uh, we didn't get a chance to speak about this last week or the Stephen Larkham uh, situation, but um, Rassi's situation is kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Because, um, you know, he received uh, suspended from all match day activities for 10 months and no involvement in the sport for two months um, by World Rugby for that infamous video that he released after the first test Um he released is the wrong word. I think was released, um, and it was criticizing Nick Berry's officiating in that first test. I think there was thirty six incidents in that game that Rassi Erasmus and South Africa were very unhappy about, um, and it was highly publicized. and sh- And I think people were shocked by it. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Um, the vast majority thought it was wrong. At the time, I thought. It was refreshing in a way that... <laughs> I knew you'd uh, say that. No, I don't. No, I, and I said it on off the ball. I said that, you know, so many coaches are frustrated with uh, sometimes the officiating. And it's very dangerous territory because if you start criticising referees, it's a difficult game. There's so many moving parts in rugby. Uh, there's so many interpretations and it's it's a tough job. 
But sometimes as a rugby nerd, I look at matches and I go, that is blatantly wrong. And there's no accountability there from the referee. It's all kind of kept behind closed doors and coaches can't say anything and players can't say anything after a match. Um, which is correct. It's not that I'm right in saying that, but there's times where I just I just would have loved to have seen coaches speak out. Um, there is a process that you send and you, you review the match and you send it to the head of the referees and they get back to you. And, and they end I up, think that's what the issue was, though, Quinny, was yeah, that they just, couldn't just get any on, answer. On that, yeah. But look, there is a process so people know that you send, you review the match, you have issues, you send it to the head of the referees, and they get back to you and they clarify situations where this is wrong, that's wrong. You know, you're incorrect in your assessment here. And then that's it. It's kind of swept under the, the carpet, if you like. And, you know, I've, I spoke to Stuart Lancaster before about this and he lost his job in, in, in 2015 at the World Cup where there was a couple of incidents in the, in the England-Wales game that effectively they questioned afterwards. He got apologies that they were wrong and there should have been penalties to England. And so it's it's very, it's a difficult situation at times. But... I think we're all in agreement that it probably was a step too far. But part of me, part of me thought it's refreshing and it was so entertaining and it was airing the, his frustration. Um, but he's paid a price now and it's a, it's a big price. You know, he's out, he's um, no match day activities for 10 months and any involvement in the sport for two months. And they've been fined 20,000 pounds, I think. And, uh, South Africa and made a, issued a statement that they were going to appeal, but that appeal has been withdrawn now. What's your take on the whole thing? Because Nick Berry is the one here who's been probably, um, and he's been forgotten a little bit. So I talk about my frustration sometimes with referees, and it's a tough job. But I kind of forgot a little bit about the effect this would have on Nick Berry. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was saying to you beforehand, I think it only when the actual... World Rugby verdicts came out and you go through the whole document. I was 80 pages. So I 80 flipped, pages. Yeah, yeah. flip through it. But what I did stop on was Nick Berry's um, statement. And it flipped it around for me because this, <clears throat> this was a human who's doing a job who are, you're literally on the line all the time in terms of such fine margins and his whole life has been impacted by it. Um, and I think that that's a really tough thing to do. You know, his wife and his kids um, have been, you know, put under pressure and walking down the street at home. But if, um, you're a pay, if you're a paid professional, which he is, is that not part of the job? Jeez, I don't know. I don't... Not, not to be lambasted publicly, but is it not part of the job to, to, to be put under pressure and you put yourself yeah, on a completely. pedestal like I, that? I think, I think the big issue is that there is failings at world rugby level in terms of referee reviews because they had gone to the, to the, I think it was Joel judge or somebody in relation to this. Um, and we're waiting a verdict in terms of so the incidents that Razzie wants to talk about the there's, there's a miscommunication somewhere. And we we've spoken about this already before in relation to the URC referees, that there's no, um, kind of chain of command in relation to who you go to if, the, if there's been, if there's issues. Um, At URC level, against. and there needs to yeah. be a head of refereeing for, for the URC appointed. Razzie's frustration was born out of the fact that they couldn't get any answers out of World Rugby, so he just um, 
pressed the red button and exploded everything. And it well, it was, it was it was sent to somebody else who then released it on Vimo, was it? And it wasn't password encrypted, so basically, if anybody had the link, they could just go and take the video, and it started circulating then. Um, Look, so, I, I think Royal Rugby were right too. Well, Rugby didn't accept that. They, yeah, they, I, 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 I think Royal Rugby had no option but to do what they did to enforce a ban, like they did. I think I was glad to see that they had apologized and withdrawn the appeal, um, because irrelevant of whether you're a paid professional who makes decisions on fine margins, um, to impact somebody's life in relation to the abuse that Nick Barry got afterwards. I don't agree with that, Quinny, and I think that's very difficult when your family are being impacted for the job that you do. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to Joy about this before. I've spoken to Andy Brace recently about it. It's a really difficult job that they do, and obviously they put themselves out there because they love what they do, but um, there's got to be some, there's got to be a code of, of, you know, chain of command and how things are dealt with. I just think that 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 Razzie situation uh, jumped uh, jumped that unfortunately. So you, you're coaching now, UL Bulls. Um, have you ever been filming over refereeing decisions? <laughs> yeah, of course. You I ever have. Gonna, are you ever going to do a video for us? Uh, no, definitely not. No, look, I think, I think, look, unfortunately, in the women's game, it's probably something that we come across quite a bit in terms of the quality of referees that we're getting. Uh, definitely better this year. Spoke about it already with you in terms of getting. Um, like having Johnny Lacey for one of our games and 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 referees that caliber, it's definitely improving for us. But there's always going to be issues. But you kind of kind of take a step back, and realize in that moment, you know, you're probably shouting and roaring or whatever. That by the time the 80 minutes finishes, that the, the game is finished and irrelevant of, of the result and how you feel, then you know that that's it really. And it's it's very it's it's very in tune with rugby. Probably the spirit of rugby in terms of you can flake each other for eighty minutes and then go and have a pint in the bar and I think that that that's really important to referees. I hate what goes on in soccer. I hate the screaming, the abuse from the stands. It drives me insane. Um, so I would hate to see that come into to rugby. Um, and Razzie has kind of been fairly prolific on his Twitter uh, Twitter page, talking about um, he's now talking about doing a documentary. He's putting up little videos. Um, a picture of him in disguise before the England game. Is he, has he lost the plot here, or is he? Is it just all good fun? I think it's good fun myself. Um, he's got to be careful now because he's saying now that there's they're going to do a, do, a documentary with with Super Sport, and he's going to have his side of the story. Uh, World Rugby will be watching this because obviously um, to see what comes out of that, but. Um, is it a little bit too far? Or do we need a little bit of this in the game? <laughs> um, look, I think if it's all in jest and it's 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 a very good fun, then like it's his own social media account that he's running himself. I think he's perfectly. It's entitled. unusual for a head coach. Oh, completely! It's mad. It's absolutely hilarious. Um, the talk of him going down to Montpellier as a consult- excuse me as a consultant for the next ten months. Be interesting to see if that happens. Um, but yeah, look, it, it really is unusual. And um, but look, I, I think I think we'll we'll really see over the next few months in relation to that documentary and and how he's coping after it. But he must have been in shock too in relation to that band. <laughs> and, well. and I, I think World Rugby had no choice here, no. but um, I was surprised it took so long to happen. I thought it would have happened pretty much quickly after the Lions tour, but 
I think for the integrity of the game. And he look at the end of the day, I think Razzie knew this was coming. He knew he yeah. was going to get a um, a rap, a serious rap on the knuckles here, and that's what's happened. So we've got to leave it there, Neve. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk a little bit more in depth on the team that will go to Was next week, and and hopefully the players can get home. Um, the ones who have COVID and the ones who are clear, they hopefully in the next day or two, and then the others, and hopefully that their health is the most important thing. It's a very tough situation. It's crazy that it's happened to them. But their backs are to the wall now, and uh, we'll see how they come out fighting in the next few weeks. Um, That's it from episode eight of the Red 78. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a better idea, as I said, on on what's happening with Munster. Don't forget to get in touch with all your thoughts throughout the week, and we'll be sure to get them on next week's podcast. You can tweet us at Rugby Channel 15 or search for the Rugby Channel on YouTube and leave a comment. Make sure you subscribe to the Red 78 wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Neve. Thanks, Quinny. See you next week. The Monster Rugby Podcast. Red 78 with Adam Quinnan and Neil Briggs. Nobody knows Monster Rugby better.